intercontinental champion of all time. This is the moment I've been waiting for as I fought and crawled my way to the top. The next World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion right here. How's gone? This one's underway. All the marbles at stake here. Everybody here is thinking pink. Both guys taking a lot of liberties here in this one. They know how much is at stake. They're not laying back. Hitman wide open on the apron. Right into the steel barricade. He'll be in the showers in 10 minutes. He's got him set up for it. Oh, no, no! Oh, he got him down. I can't believe it! Nobody's ever kicked out of that. I have never seen a match go one way, then the other, back and forth so many times. Oh, look at this! He's got it halfway on! The coach is up on the apron! Pro Wrestling Spotlight, presented by Hami Media and the Pro Wrestling Reflection, where we discuss the very best of the best in pro wrestling history. And what you gonna do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world revolve on you? The two soundest wrestlers in the World Wrestling Federation, maybe in the history of the World Wrestling Federation, are right here, right now. Mr. Perfect and the exclusive execution, the Hitman. WrestleMania weekend isn't complete without the heartbreak kid, and he is on his way. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. They think they got the answers. I change the question. You will rest in peace. Get used to it in Ric Flair, who you're looking at the man. What is going on there to the Hamenites? What is going on there to the PWCites? What is going on to the Big Beetleites? And all the ice all around the world, from coast to coast, border to border, city to city, from the USA to the Kremlin, from Zimbabwe to Wakanda, from Africa to Asia, from China to North Korea, South Korea, and all the all the creepy towns out there, but neither here nor there. What is going on to the Magnificent Seven, the Elite Eight, the Naughty Nine, the Terrific Ten, you know who you are. What's going on to new Reflectionites and old Reflectionites and all that spiel. Welcome or welcome to the PWR Podcast here at the Homie Media Group at Podbeam.com. And this is a special one because this episode is another TW Classic. Because if you listened last week, 
T.W. had some rumblings about something. He, he had a suggestion for the professor, and the professor said, wait a minute, wait a minute, can't do it live. Can't do it live because then Tien Kuponer might say, oh, I got the, I got the videos for you. And shout out to Tien Kuponer. He tweeted out the videos just on the whims of TW saying something. That's how loyal the reflection I talk. So shout out to Tien Kuponer. But I needed to go into the lab and make sure we had something. We had some material to do this special episode. And it will be a pro wrestling spotlight. Greatest Rivalries Edition. I don't know if we can call it Greatest Rivalries, but we will call it a Rivalries Edition with Brett the Hitman Hart and Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. But before we get into that, I must introduce myself because I am vain like that. I must introduce myself because I need to get younger and beautifuler and sweeter and sexier all, all rolling into one. Because I don't want to have dementia. I don't want to have Alzheimer's. I don't want to have old age. But I'm already feeling it. I'm feeling it in my neck. I'm feeling it in my shoulders. That old lady is kicking in. They say 40 is the new 20. I don't feel the 20s. I still feel the 40s. Fuck y'all, 40 people. But anyway, <laughs> I am the most charismatic one. I am the most scholarly one. I am the most effervescent one. But most importantly, I am the most glorious one. The only objective man in the IWC, YWC, PWC, Punditry. The only objective man in this political spectrum. Your friend of mine, the Professor Chabelle Cruz, and I'm not here alone. No, 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 no. I might be in my uh, fabulous 40s, but he is in his fortified 50s, give or take. He is your friend of mine. Dum dum do idiot song. Dr. Frankenstein, Mr. Wonderful, the Iron Stomach One, the man that redecorates his goddamn fucking basement every time I interview him. Every time he hits the record button. <laughs> Tommy, wonder how you doing, my friend? I don't, I, you know, I was doing all right till you said in my 50s. Jeez, I just, like, I'm a week and a half into 50, let alone 50s. You're not 40 yet? I'm 46. Oh, I thought you tried to just w- try to sneak in your four years away. But when I introduce 40. myself, I, I get younger. That's why I say I, I, I keep getting older. It's just not working. I don't know how you should get out of breath. You should feel older by the time you're done with all them adjectives you gave yourself. I, I do. I really, really, really do. But anyway, how how's the week going? How are the kids? How is feeling 50? Are you crinkling up? And he is all holding up for the audio reflectionites, the action figures of Brett the Hitman Heart and the two of the four greatest intercontinental champions of all the times. And Kofi Kingston's one, and uh, The Miz is the other. Is that what you're trying to say, too? They, no, they didn't have the cool belt. They didn't have that belt or that belt. This uh, two are perfect and Brett. The other two are Warrior and Kerry Von Erich. Those are the four best ever. Kerry Von Erich, one of the greatest Intercontinental Champions ever. I didn't say the reign. I just mean oh. he, the person, is. Okay. I'm just, I'm just making sure because that, everybody would be like, what? T.W., what? Kerry Von Erich? Okay. Neither here nor there. But it is a rivalries edition. But again, I can't say it's the greatest rivalries edition, T.W., and that's just my humble opinion because... We're going to talk about Brett the Hitman Hart and Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning reflection. I said, but I want to talk to, before we talk about the matches and all that stuff, but TW, I say it's not one of the greatest rivalries because every rivalries edition we've ever done here on the PWR podcast, most of the rivalries has a backstory. Most of the rivalries has a continuing saga between the two combatants or maybe tag teams within that reputation. Now, for Brett the Hitman Hart and Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning, there is a backstory to, to a degree reflection. Don't get me wrong. 
They're second generation wrestlers. Stu Hart, Larry Dax Henning. So you're continuing, you know, that legacy kind of feud between families. So you can look at it from that standpoint. But in terms of our rivalries, TW, because again, like I keep saying, it, the chronologies of our rivalries additions, if you will, kind of are close together. We're going to, this one is going to span, let's just say, almost a decade. Certain instances with these two combatants have prevalence. Certain instances between these two very, are very important time-wise. But what say you about it not being one of the greatest rivalries, but a great rivalry in itself? I'd say it's the greatest because it's two of the best to ever wrestle. And and for me, I, I just actually sent the picture. I found it online. Mm -hmm. uh, as a kid, I believe it was 89, late 89 when Kurt Hennig came there. I was already a fan of his from AWA because of uh, him and Scott Hall, him and Greg Gagne. Uh, I loved him as AWA world champion. Um, but when he first was coming there, you remember they would – talk about people in the magazine before the vignettes would even start airing on superstars or whatever. And Kurt Hennig probably has, if there's not a better one, I don't know. His vignettes introducing him to the WWE are, are almost as legendary as his career there with the whole every week. His, doing a different uh, sport. his hype vignettes were yeah. perfect. We could perfect. say that it was perfect were because of what perfect. he can, because what he did in those vignettes, Hitting the hole in one, hitting the home run with his eyes closed, hitting the jump shot, hitting the half court shot, whatever the case may be, reflection. You, you know what he did. I'm not, I'm strikes. Not, I'm not this. You know, I'm not dismissing that. But, but again, with our history of doing a rivalries edition, no, right, right, right. Mostly are the matches that I have you see. The chronology is there. The reputation for the rivalry is there. Right. These two, again, the the legacy is part of the rivalry. But within WWE parameters and WCW parameters, is it really one of the greatest rivalries? That's all I'm saying. That's all. It, I'm saying. it involved a title. It involved a winning streak. It involved what I was about to tell you, mm -hmm. a magazine cover. Before he's even there, it says Mr. Perfect is gunning for Brett. And that made me think, oh, shit. Did these guys, like, fight his kids? Like, did their dads have to separate him mm -hmm. in the back of the bingo hall? What's going on here? Like, it, it, it made me ready for mr perfect to come there also made me know he's gonna be a bad guy he's picking on brett but it also mm -hmm. made me nervous for brett because i'm like kurt hennig's no joke so i like that he already had a feud before he even got there and then the feud that's 89 93 was the king of the ring so in, in that span and then obviously we're gonna talk about a wcw match but it it did carry on it wasn't something but it also had heat it had gentlemen you know sportsmanship at the end mm -hmm. of one match it just it's it's to me it's at least for a brief moment in time it was one of my favorite first of all matches ever him and brett mm -hmm. at SummerSlam. but just it's just to me it's two of the best and it's the best i've seen two of them with you know not the best but one of the best mm -hmm. time periods in both of their careers for me was against each other I, I, I agree. The reputation precedes both of them. I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying that, again, on our traditions of the I rivalry. think what you're missing is a cage match. There wasn't a cage, big blow-off cage match. So they were always, you know you know what? You're thinking of these two along the same lines as Ric Flair versus Rick Steamboat, where their feud lasted all of four months. 
right? Like, but it was all done briefly, but, like boom, but boom, that boom, boom, boom. But that trilogy is still one of the greatest robberies. Absolutely, ever. absolutely. So there's, there is that one example we can talk about, like Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair. That's that spanned years too. But it, again, the heat was there. Like I keep saying, again, Bret Hart, and I'll say this: Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect. Like you remember how uh, I'll say this. Chris Jericho said that when he saw WrestleMania 3, Steamboat and Savage at WrestleMania 3 steal the show, he knew that there's someone like him, his size, that can make it in professional wrestling because of Steamboat and Savage. Seeing th these matches, you can see a you can see a Jericho, you can see a Lance Storm, you can see even Justin Incredible, you can see TW say, because of Bret Hart and Kurt Henning doing what they did in that ring. Might have not been the main event, but it's one of the most memorable matches. They stole the show. And they stole the show. They're technically sound and all that. So you agree with that assessment? Absolutely. So put a bow on that and then we'll. I didn't even know Jericho that. said that about. I believe Jericho's using uh, hindsight revisionist history to make that statement because I was 12 when that match happened. So, matter of mm -hmm. fact, I was 11 because I, I turned. No, no, no. I was 13. I would have turned 14 that year. But I was 13 years old. And I believe Jericho might be a year older than me. So I don't know that he was thinking someone his size was going to be a wrestler when he was 14 years old. Uh, but I know his sentiment. And basically, you see Hogan, you see Andre, you see Warrior, you see Sid, you see Road Warriors, you see all these guys. And uh, I think that's probably why a lot of us Veered towards tag team wrestling, people that love it, right? Because mm -hmm. tag teams were usually two smaller guys, and it wasn't Andre and Haku. It was Haku and Haku, right? And so you you watched that, and you just thought, I think, you know, I think I said this before on this podcast. Joe Rogan said it. When you watch boxing, when you watch MMA, and you don't know either guy, mm -hmm. human nature is to cheer for the guy that looks most like you. And when we saw smaller wrestlers who weren't from the land of the Giants, and if you had any aspirations of doing it, you're like, these are my guys. This, this. And by the way, I met Bret Hart right out of high school. I met him again years later in the business, but out of high school. And you think they're small. And me and my buddy Dennis Hogan, we waited at the Palace of Auburn Hills for the where they come out the back in their cars. And Bret was the only person out of everybody that came out that came up to us and signed my buddy's memory book. It was raining, to be fair. Uh, but he came out, and I just remember just staring at him while he was signing my buddy's book. And I went, I touched his forearm, and I go, dude, you're way bigger than I thought you were going to be. And he looked up and said, you're surprised? And I go, no, I just, you're you're way bigger. And he goes, thanks. And he finished signing the book. But, but he looked small. Because he's in there with all those giants and everything, but he wasn't a small man by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. Like like I said, again, because of Bret Hart, because of Mr. Perfect, that Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels, too. You could add those people, the, the technically sound guys. Even Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, they're small right. in stature, right. too. But in the Rock and Roll Express, those small guys, you can make money. So they brought off a generation of people, including TW, including Los Rudos, and, and including yeah. Scott DeMore, and, including Edge, including Christian, and all that stuff. So, again, it spawned off a generation of wrestlers that could say, I can do this, I can be them, and I can make money. Maybe not say I can main event WrestleMania, but you knew you can make a living 
being well, that size. A few, year, that's, for, for a few years later, yeah, WrestleMania headliner could could you can add that to the list because a- absolutely. So with that being said, we are going to do this greatest rivalry. I guess TW kind of convinced me this is the greatest rivalry for a, <laughs> for a you know a quandary of reasons. So I'll say it's the greatest rivalry. So we're going to start off in 1989, June of 1989. I think this was at the Boston Garden TW. So it is Bret Hart against Kurt Henning. And this is where there's two factors going into this. Mr. Perfect is undefeated. Mr. Perfect hasn't eaten a pin. Nobody has touched him. He hasn't even kissed the mat. He hasn't looked at the lights and all that stuff because he was coming in hot, like you said, with all that hype vignettes. On the flip side, I think for Bret Hart in 1989, it was a test by Vince McMahon to see if he can carry a singles role because he was, you know, dominating the tag team scenes with the Hart Foundation in the mid 80s. He had the wars with the British Bulldogs. He had the wars with the Killer Bees, the Young Stallions, Devolution, all that stuff. We don't need to harp on that. But it was two factors. It was the test to see if Bret Hart can make, you know, make money as a singles person. Hang with Mr. Perfect because Mr. Perfect was already coming with, with a lot of street cred. He was the former AWA World Heavyweight Champion. So in hindsight, you can look at it this way, TW. This should be a, not a cakewalk for Mr. Perfect to beat him in like, let's say, 10, 12 minutes. But he should beat him. That's what no. I'm saying. What say you, TW, about 1989? Let's not talk about 1991, 93, because, again, you'll right. get where I'm going with the reputation. Yeah. I want to focus on 89 because both guys are in different stages of their wrestling careers. Absolutely. And I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure if I am, you'll correct me, but their IC match isn't until SummerSlam of 91. I think SummerSlam mm-hmm. 90, the Hart Foundation either won the belts or helped the Road Warriors Win the belts. No, they, they won the tag. Team, they won the tag team titles in So, so Brett maybe. went back into tag team because Brett and Jim Neidhart have the uh, the rare air of no one ever turned on the other guy. They just went their separate ways. Mm-hmm. The last time, obviously, Neidhart started teaming with Coco, and then uh, Owen later on, and uh, it never really took off for Neidhart. He inevitably became the Marty Jannetty of the Hart Foundation. But, but you said it best. This is. This is seeing what Brett can do. And I think that's another reason why when I saw that article and it said Mr. Perfect is gunning for Brett, it was kind of like, huh? Like, has he got a partner? Is he bringing Greg Gagne with him? Scott Hall coming? Who's coming with him? But it wasn't. It was just one-on-one, and I, I loved it. I mean, there, it's I, I'm, I'm glad you had me watch this match because I didn't know the outcome, and I watched all 20-something minutes of this motherfucker. But mm-hmm. it, 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 was, it, was, it was good. It was actually a good if, – if there was a test – to see how these two could do, not only did they do pass it with flying colors, that audience is engaged the entire time. And, you know, when I was watching this match, when I was watching the SummerSlam match, um, all I thought was I would sacrifice a fucking goat if I could get wrestling audiences to be like that again. Because mm-hmm. they, when there was a rest hold, they didn't chant boring. Rest holds weren't for long. It was probably to regroup and what are we doing next and take a breath. Um, but they got elevated when they needed to be elevated, relaxed, didn't try to steal the show when they were ready to relax. And I think by the end of this match, I think the audience is just as tired as Brett and Kurt because it was a roller coaster ride and they, the, the mm-hmm. fans were with them for all of it. When you look at this match in, from 1989, again, I have to go with the, the logistics here. Again, Mr. Perfect is coming in hot. Of course, these are house shows. So 
we kind of know that sometimes that history is not told. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe Mr. Perfect to count our losses. Maybe Mr. Perfect lost by disqualifications. But again, it would never translate to a wrestling challenge. It would never translate to superstars. Right. So with this being said, Reflectionites, this June 1989 match from the Boston Garden is prevalent because somebody took Mr. Perfect to the limit. Bret Hart got a, you know, that that co that cosmetic win, you could say. Because he's your Kiss your sister. What the hell? A draw, a tie. It's a kiss your sister. I've never heard that, but that's a hockey that. term. That's a oh. hockey term. And I think Bobby Heenan used to say it. Nobody wants a tie. A tie is like kissing your sister. I, I call it consolation. You call it kiss your sister. So tomato, tomato. But he hung with Mr. Perfect. They got the draw. So it was a cosmetic win for Bret Hart to a degree. Right. right. But what say you about the? Again, you said this was a roller coaster. And think about it right now, TW, because in 1989, you know, Hogan and Savage was the hot few for the WWF. Warrior and Rude was the hot few. So you, you understand that for these house shows, this is the third on the low side, right. stealing the show with those two high mark main events that you're going to see later on. So let's say you about that kind of parameter there. There, th This match is like hyping up the crowd so this way you get excited for the main events that you actually this, get your hard, this, hard earned money this is the epitome of when i first got in i'm not tooting my own horn i i just know this is what was told to me and you you almost come in feeling like an afterthought when you're the first match but then you get told by promoters no 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 no. the first match is as important as the last match because the first match sets the pace for the rest of the show if the first match comes out and lays an egg it's going to be harder for the next match to get the fans into it and vice versa and by the time you get to the main event it's is dead in the water so the three main matches that have to be good actually four are uh, the actually opener. oh hold on reflection nights i actually see the picture that tw shared with me <laughs> this is actually from wwf magazine I yes so yes this is yep. not pro wrestling illustrated because they wouldn't go with i that. said wwe magazine damn it i'm just i'm just for the reflection i so with that and it was, that wasn't even with an article that was just a picture mm -hmm. on the back cover and uh yeah. so i had no like anything to go off of but, yeah. but anyway the four main matches on a wrestling show especially wwe back then because they always had that long intermission mm -hmm. are the opener the last match before the intermission, the first match after the intermission, and the main event. A lot of times, Hogan would be the match before intermission. So the last match had to be something stellar. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you, a lot of house shows I went to, you know what that last match was? It was Boy. either the Hart Foundation, oh. the Rockers, or mm -hmm. the last match would be a tag team title match or something like that, or mm -hmm. IC title match. But but this match is, is probably first. It's the curtain jerker. And mm -hmm. it sets the or, pace, or or could have been the first match after after intermission, intermission. absolutely to, get the, but, to get, get the crowd back into it. So, but that means they have faith in you to get the boat, get the motor running, basically get the boat on the water. So, and, and they did not disappoint. And the other thing, I'm not certain because a lot of times young Vince Mann sounds different to me than like Vince McMahon, mm -hmm. but I think it's Tony Schiavone and Bobby he no Lord Alfred Hayes. On commentary. Yeah, that was Tony Giovanni it and Lord Alfred. Yeah. For his six month stint in the WWE, he was he was there. Yeah. Tony Giovanni, underrated uh, great yeah. WWF commentator, because he has he had his moments of, of grandeur, if you will, reflectionites. So before we put a bow on this 1989 classic TW, what because 
as we progress to 91, and we'll talk about that, and we progress to 93 and progress to 98. Eight. Yeah. Their wrestling style didn't change. So no. they kind of they kind of knew each other's so know, spots didn't change. The, the, the <laughs> spots didn't change. So let's say about the chemistry. And you know, it's like Flair and Steamboat said, they fought each other a thousand times. They can close their eyes and know the next move. Can you see that same kind of I can close my eyes, tell you what I'm gonna do, and, I, and you already know what I'm gonna do? I would say those two for sure. Um like I just watched an interview with Brett, a segment. I didn't watch the whole thing, but he's mm-hmm. talking about John Cena. When he met John Cena, which, by the way, I didn't even know this even happened, but there's a 10-man match at SummerSlam with Brett and John Cena on a team. Yeah. CM Punk's on the other side, I think. or Yeah, Brett was uh, wrestling in his jorts, but he wasn't yeah. really wrestling. He, he, I don't even he, remember that match happening. So that would have been the year of Vince and Brett at WrestleMania, the same year. It was like 2010. Yeah. So so he said in the back when they were going over everything, he was he was blown away by John Cena because they would go over their spots. And he goes, you can imagine how hard it is for 10 guys, you know, to remember where to be and whatever to be. And he said Mm -hmm. when they were going over their spots, John Cena did what he always did. And he was shocked by it because he never worked with John before. And this is how Brett did it. So say they're setting up the match and they do the open the spot, the mid spot, this, that. And they get to a point where one goes, all right, what am I doing here again? And then they go, okay, we're going back to the beginning. And the guys were like, God, we, I got the beginning. I, I what, what are we doing here? And they're like, no, we're going back to the beginning. Cause the mindset is if you don't go back to the beginning and run it all the way through, then they're either going to remember the fuck up and then not know where to go from there or how to get to the fuck up. So he mm-hmm. said that's how he did it. I would assume Kurt Hennig was the same way that probably called everything in the back because his stuff was way too crisp, right? Like you hear all these old timers talk about calling it in the ring. You know when you call it in the ring? When it's your 4,000th match against Ricky Steamboat and your Ric Flair. You ain't doing that the first time because if you mm-hmm. go out there, like I've had matches where I went out there and we called it in the ring. I have. But the guy I wrestled was someone I wrestled before. I knew all his shit. He knew all my shit. So we could just say, do this spot, do that spot. But if you're wrestling each other for the first time on some, like you've you've always heard the story of Brett and Davy Boy, how Brett mm-hmm. had the thing rehearsed for two weeks and Davy Boy come in so high off his fucking ass, he didn't know he remember the spots and he just listened to Brett and Brett told uh, him again. Re- let's remember this, T.W. Because Brett Hart from Stampede Wrestling, his father Stu, meticulous. Very yep. uh, technical, very yep. methodical stuff that they did up in Canada. Mr. Perfect, Larry the Axe Henning, but of course, from the learning tree of Vern Gagne and Minnesota. the AWA. Minnesota yeah. technical pro wrestling. We're talking right. about Greco-Roman. So, right. this, again, being meticulous is the forte of the, the legacy sons here. So, yeah. they have to be meticulous. They yeah. have to be technical on that standpoint. So, and, you know, and just like with a guitar player or a bass player or a drummer, where you get into a room and riff people and you go hit that D chord. Well, the D chord for them is a tackle, drop down, leapfrog, hit toss, right? Like they, they have terms for shit that they've done in the past where just, they could just say a spot, B spot, C spot, whatever. So, that because it's hard to talk to each other in the ring if you don't have long ass hair. It's hard. Like you could mm-hmm. probably watch Karen Cross's hair is growing out. By the way, it's, it's growing out because it's finally getting longer. It doesn't look like the Cena John John Cena dad haircut. But mm-hmm. when you got that hair hanging in your face, you can talk all day long because the hair is blocking it. But and these guys got it. But uh, but yeah, these two for sure. I think for one, I think they're familiar with each other. For two, their their paths 
had to have crossed his kids because of Larry the Axe and Vern and 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 the Ganya family, the Hennick family, the, the Hart family. I'm sure Stu probably wrestled Larry the Axe either in Calgary or both Minnesota mm-hmm. and Calgary. So absolutely these two are they have a Rolodex of shit in their head and, and they know what's coming when the other guy's doing something. The words are interwoven, interconnected, all that stuff. So another that, language. Yeah. Yeah, it is another language. And a language you don't even have to say anything. You just right. look at each other Physical and just know language. Yeah. it just works that that. Again, before we go to the next match, SummerSlam 91, I said this was a test for Brett the Hitman Hart. He passed with flying colors. Let me ask you this on the let's just say for the, the casual viewer TW. The, the ones with the, you know, they always call it the eye test, right? right? For the tag team wrestler that Bret Hart is, when he was a good guy, he gets, you know, he gets, he takes the brunt of the punishment, takes the right? heat. He yep. takes all that heat. So my question is, so to educate the casual viewers here, the, the 12 that are ride or dies, but from a wrestler's perspective, how do you, I don't know how to say this right, but how do you get that casual viewer to like, Put a push aside that you take all that heat, that you can take all this punishment and be, you know, be a singles person. That's what I'm trying to say. Like Ricky Morton, could he be a singles guy? Yes, he could. But we know him as a tag team wrestler. Arn Anderson, can he be a singles guy? Yes, but again, we know him as a as a tag team guy. How do you get that stigma, like Bret Hart finally did or eventually did? What's ATW about that? They talked about that. Whenever a solo guy or tag team guy went solo, they would say. They would say, dude, that was on primetime wrestling all the time. Like, they would even say that a tag team wrestler had a singles match. Like, remember they had captain's matches where, mm-hmm. and they go, well, you know, he's used to being able to tag out when he gets in trouble. That would be the heel, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or they would mention the babyface, like, oh, he's, he, he's, he could take a beating, but he usually tags out to the fresh man after he takes that beating and then comes back in when the adrenaline kicks in. But they would, the flip side of that is, the guy he's wrestling is also a tag team wrestler, so it's evened out. But when you're wrestling a guy who wasn't a tag team wrestler, they would almost always say that guy had the advantage because he doesn't need to tag out. He's he's winded mm-hmm. for he's uh what do you call it? Trained or whatever. He he's Condition. whatever. He he's refined to singles action. He doesn't mm-hmm. need um a partner to tag in. But that's where rest holds come in. If a guy does a rest hold. They would the, the good savvy commentators that go, you know, here he is. You can tell he's smart. He's learning it. He's taking a little rest by, you know, applying a chin lock or something like that, and mm-hmm. then getting his bearings and then going back to it. But it, it it was definitely something talked about when a guy went singles after being in a tag team match, and and Brett still took that heat, right? Because mm-hmm. even singles matches, the babyface takes the heat in the middle of the match, but of he did it, and it, but he come back. And that's what they would always say is like he persevered, he he took a beating and came back for more and and then prevailed in the end. Or or he came up just short because, you know, maybe if he had a partner to tag in, it would have been different. But you know, he's learning, you know, stuff like that. But time, time yeah. is what gets people invested in you. Or if you don't mention it at all, the casual fan might not even know he is a tag team wrestler and they yeah. won't think anything of it. Well, we know it because we're very hardcore right. to it. That's why I just had to ask that question. Yep. And let's put a bow on this because in this 1989 match ended in a draw. And the one thing I have to say, TW, again, be- between WWF and NWA, the only thing that NWA beats WWF is is with time limit draws because NWA matches, 
the ring announcer told you there's five minutes, you know, there's right. three minutes, there's two minutes, 90 seconds, 10, 9, all that stuff. WWF never did that. And sometimes you just forget. You're just watching a match. You're loving it. And, and like this match, you're loving it. And when you hear the ding, 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 you're kind of pissed. You, are you right with that? Did you like yeah. it? Or, you know, what's ATW? And then I was actually that? pleasantly surprised because I actually watched the majority of it thinking Brett lost. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm like, there's no way he's beating the undefeated guy on a house show. There's, It's just not going to happen unless, you know, a lot of times when I would go to house shows at Joe Lewis arena, we would look for a camera. And if you mm-hmm. saw a camera, you're like, Whoa, something's happening here. Right? Like, cause there wasn't always cameras. You look for that red light. And right. a lot of times it ended up being, they just played it on primetime wrestling, like live from Joe Lewis arena in Detroit. It would just be a random match. But, but when you saw a camera, you thought it was a possibility. And it's funny cause you still don't believe wrestling's, not real, right? But yeah, mm-hmm. you know there's no chance a title's changing hands at a non-televised event. And then Brett won one at a non-televised event. He won the world title, which was very rare back then. Uh, yeah. To win it, Tito, I think, lost the IC title at the Boston Garden to Macho Man that wasn't televised. It was a house show. So you do have it every now and again. Um, well, I would have to disagree. It was televised for that market. Right, wasn't MST Network for the nation. or yeah. Boston yeah. Garden. That but, yeah, I, I know that. Nesson or whatever. Yeah. So um, it doesn't matter. But I, I get where you're going with it. But it is kind of televised. And they use those footages when it's important for superstars and wrestling channels. But neither right. here nor there. Right. So That's what I mean. Right. That's why you look for the camera light. Because mm-hmm. you're like, they're going to fucking film this and put it on. Because you didn't have all the, the, the props and shit to let you know it was superstars or i never mm-hmm. ever went to a wwf tv taping i swear they all they were always in albany new york that's yeah. the only place they ever went but then they would do you know whatever the occasion and i thought they were all happening in the daytime while i was watching it and i'm like damn these motherfuckers are wrestling at 11 in the morning that's oh, nuts hell no <laughs> but anyway we digress reflection i said we're gonna move on to 1991 SummerSlam 1991 naughty one from madison square garden and this was one of the highlighted you know matches on the card for the intercontinental championship mr perfect kurt henning uh, defending his title against brett the hitman heart and tw we have to at least talk about the logistics because mr perfect was coming into this match with an injured back we knew that his time was very like short Especially because, again, maybe Vince McMahon wanted to have a plan to have, like, quote-unquote, the feud we're talking about, the rivalry, like a legit rivalry for this Intercontinental title. You and I would know that the chemistry that these two had, they could have carried this from SummerSlam 91 to maybe WrestleMania 92. Again, I'm just that's just me hindsighting right. it. But we know that he's coming in with a, with a bad back. He's going to be injured. He's going to be sidelined. So with that variable, and then there's the other variable now. Now the, this is the second test, if you will, for Brett the Hitman Hart. Because Mr. Perfect from 1990 to 1991 was the two-time Intercontinental Champion. There was no doubt that he could carry the, you know, the B shows, if you will. There's no doubt that he could be the last match on the card for the house shows with the Intercontinental title on the line. He was the Workman's Champion. He took on all comers. The reputation is there. But now the test is Bret Hart 
he's not a he's not a tag team wrestler anymore because again with Jim Neidhart's injuries or maybe his the cocaine, whatever the case may be, they he had to entrust Bret Hart for this TW. Can he have a title? Can he carry the load like Mr. Perfect can? So what say with all that variables for this match in 1991? Brett or Kurt won the tournament after Warrior vacated the bell, right? That's how he got the title. And then he lost it to Kerry, then won it back like a yes. month later or two months later, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then there's actually one part in this match where Kurt grabs his back. And mm-hmm. that's when you're like, uh-oh. And I, I, I think what you're saying i think we knew it as fans that he had a bad back like it was in the the wrestling newsletters or shit like that like it was i had i had um for for the new york area the slammer so they yeah. would tell, they would say that he's yeah, there was, there he was, was a buzz injured. about kurt hennig's back and mm-hmm. and they, i think they talked about it leading up to the match on there but like if he was gonna sell it like that, he would have sold it the whole match, and there was only one point where he grabbed his back. Like, damn, I'm like, he ain't getting back up. Like, he, it, you can tell he was in pain. Same with Sean. If you watch Matt, the match with Austin back, you can see him wincing for the majority of that match with mm-hmm. his back. And uh, so, I, I, I believe, you know, again, this is thirty plus years ago, thirty two, thirty years ago, whatever. I believe, I remember. Um, watching the match and just thinking good lord like feeling horrible for the guy right because i was a perfect fan from day one right like perfect rude razor ramon macho man and rick martell as the model those guys were always like my top five guys when they were the heel versions of them and uh and obviously i was a brett guy i love brett even when he was with neidhart like I, I feel shame not saying the Hart Foundation are one of my favorite tag teams, but it is the Rockers and Tully and Iron. But, um, but hey, Brett, I always every, like, everybody is subjective with their list and likes. So what, you yeah. know, you're not wrong. But it, it's no offense. God rest his soul, Mr. Neidhart, wherever you got to get figure somewhere. Uh, it's just Neidhart. I wasn't a Neidhart guy, right? I mm-hmm. like Tully and Arn. I like Sean and Marty. I love Brett. I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily like Neidhart. And so I think if Owen and Brett would have been a tag team, it'd probably be up there with those other two teams. But that never happened. So, but I yeah, th- these two, they, they, and, and that was the other thing I thought was, wow, if he knew he was going out, he went out with a bang. Kurt Hennig held nothing back in this match. He, he did that bump where he grabs the rope and gets kicked in the back of the leg and does the flip and lands on his shoulder. Never landed good on it. It's probably, led to his back problems were those spots and then uh pinball machine spots that he did shame same with sean you, mm-hmm. you bounce around like that all day you're gonna hurt something in your back and he did and it was it was almost sad to watch him in pain like that but it was still again one of the greatest matches of all time going into this match tw again it it, it has a different kind of a feeling if you will because mr perfect wasn't being accompanied by bobby the brain Heenan because bobby the brain Heenan was taking a step back because you know his travel issues too you know his health he couldn't do he couldn't do the rigors of traveling 300 days out of the year like like he used to so they brought in the coach so did it i think to me the match is great don't get me wrong but the ambiance of the coach it wasn't bobby the brain hidden so it just felt a little bit off to me that's just my humble opinion Again, you, I'm not taking anything away from the match. I'm taking, I'm taking the ambiance away from it with the coach. I think it was kind of like, 
I don't know. Maybe if you had Harvey Whippleman or maybe you had Slick, maybe I would like say, okay, they did a trade or even Mr. Fuji. If you traded Mr. Perfect's contract or Jimmy Hart, if Jimmy Hart was managing. Jimmy Mr. would have been the only suitable replacement for me. Right. Bobby Heenan and Kurt Hennig worked together. They were perfect. Uh, Anybody mm -hmm. else. I get it. You bring coach in like he was your high school coach because you did all the sports and everything, but he was annoying and he had the damn mm -hmm. whistle. And he just, he just, it wasn't good. What was his name? Not Lothario. That was Sean's guy. Jonathan something or. I forgot the coach's name, but you don't have to look for it. It's not, it's a, it's a yeah. misnomer. We, we, that's yeah. how, that's how bad it was to me with that. But he was a ambience. big deal in the Bruno era as a mm -hmm. wrestler. And then mm -hmm. he came back as that coach wrestling guy. Right. But it, it just, it just didn't mesh with the, no. with the professor. Again, you, you and I are right. It should have been Jimmy Hart that should have got the contract of Mr. Perfect and he could have managed him and whatever that, that case may be. But again, got to talk about Bret Hart because now this is the second test. He will eventually win. And the way he won, because again, like you said, Mr. Perfect didn't hold back. He wanted to make Bret the Hitman Hart look like a million bucks. And no doubt about it, he looked like a million bucks, especially the way he won. If you want to talk about how he won his Intercontinental title. Not only how he won, but after he won, they do a little bit more on Kurt's way out of the ring. Like It's almost like he just made Bret look like he slayed the dragon. Uh and you know what's funny is so they do a spot where they both land on their backs and Brett from his back locks the sharpshooter and then rolls over and stands up and Kurt submits immediately like before he even pulls back um, mm. like he just like no I can't go no more uh, it almost looks like Montreal Screwjob because I'm like did Kurt even submit but he's shaking his head like that the second Brett sits up and probably mm -hmm. Because he was in unbearable pain and didn't want him to wretch back on it. Um, but after that, Brett's laying there, grateful, like spent. He's selling like it took everything he had to beat Kurt. He's returning the, the respect, right? And then Kurt bonks him in the head, walking over him and says, get me. And Brett ripped his singlet off and booted him out of the ring in his underwear. Like, that was his last hurrah. He was gone until he came back to commentate because I think he had a surgery, right? Yeah, he had back surgery and... Well, I don't know if it, if it was surgery because he, he was back on TV very quickly with Ric Flair. Right. So it was a, he probably had surgery, was out for, you know, rehabbing a couple of right. weeks. Then he was Ric Flair. That was his last executive. match, I'm saying. He yeah, that was his last match. That. Yeah, that was his last um, match until 1993. And but we'll you ready for this, though? What? Bobby Heenan is on commentary. With Gorilla? With Gorilla Monsoon and Macho Man. No, no Macho Piper. Man was on the King of the Ring. No, it so, was Gorilla, Piper, and Heenan. Piper, Piper. Mm -hmm. Gorilla, Piper, Bobby. Don't say it. Don't Perfect. say it. Don't say Gorilla, it. Gorilla. Don't say it. And the coach, Stu, and Martha Hart, or Mary Hart, whatever, Mar Helen Hart. Don't all dead. It. All Jesus dead. Christ, I knew you. That's what I just said. All Don't dead. say it. Don't Brett's say the it. literal last man standing in this match. See, reflection ice. That's all. He's the gatekeeper. I don't know why he wants to. He wants to keep track of, of the dead. I don't want to keep track. It's like every time I'm like dead, 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 dead. Jesus Christ. Let's put a little <laughs> bit of a happy spin on it. And again, like you said, he. I wish I was there. I was there for 1988 SummerSlam, but I wasn't there for 91. I watched it on pay-per-view at home. But if I was there, I would have been cheering my ass off for that for that moment. The funny thing about this match reflection is not what he did to perfect. 
It's about Lord Alfred Hayes, what he did to Stu Hart. Because Lord Alfred Hayes, in that time reflection, I said, this is just a misnomer. You don't have to really, if you really notice it, Lord Alfred Hayes went into heel mode in the yeah. 90s. Like, he didn't give a fuck. He almost had, like, a no filter. Like, I don't care now. Th these good guys really get on my nerves. <laughs> and Stu Hart, he was like, what do you feel? And takes the mic away. It takes the microphone away. Like, that's right. He, he's a lost one. And Stu Hart's like, I know. He said I'm tremendous. He said, yeah. how do you feel? He goes, tremendous. And he goes, oh, there, there you have it. <laughs> that's the first. I'm like, damn. He, he snatched that mic away fast. And, and Stu's looking like, I got more words to say. But then when Bret Hart comes, of course, they do the hug and all that stuff. But it was a, it was a great moment. I, I just wanted to point that out for, yeah, yeah. for that purpose of this. Let's put a bow on this because you talked about how Bret Hart won. Because, again, there's, oh, there was a, a debate in the 90s between Bret Hart's sharpshooter and Sting's scorpion deathlock. And, of course, you, know, you and I know that if you're in the, in the cafeterias and if you were wrestling fans, of course, we were watching both. We would have our debates of who's the master of. I usually had the Bret Hart. I was like, Bret Hart's the master of this move. 100%. And, and I was like, did you see SummerSlam 91? He did it on <laughs> his back. Yeah. Tell me when Sting could, he could barely do it when he's sitting up to do the move right. Right. Bret Hart can do the sharpshooter, scorpion death, like whatever you want to call it, TW, a thousand different he's the man of a thousand different ways to do the sharpshooter right. what say you tw but about not, that not only that like as you're asking that question which i did not see coming reflection i saw idiot there are iconic pictures of bret hart cinched in on the sharpshooter there's there's one of him with austin behind him like the pictures of bret and austin's in the back bleeding out mm. where he it looks like jesus couldn't get out of this sharpshooter right and there, there's one with Perfect. There's one with Flair. There's probably one with Owen. Uh, wish there was a, one with him and Hogan in it. But when Sting put someone in the sharpshooter, it was almost like as soon as he flipped them over, they tapped out. And, and Sting was always standing. Brett looked like he was sitting on your back or taking a shit. One or the other. That was his body positioning was a full-on sit. Mm -hmm. And and. Sting never looked like that. Sting always looked like he half-assed it. I, I actually like the Scorpion Death Drop over the Scorpion Death Lock because mm -hmm. Sting's Scorpion Death Drop would come out of nowhere, and he actually looked like he gave a fuck. But I think possibly Sting being taller, maybe he thought he was going to fall over if he tried going back too far. But Brett's, Brett's sharpshooter makes the guy in it look like a lazy boy chair. Like, he literally looks like he's holding his entire weight. Also, by the way, he's bent backwards the wrong way. And it was mm -hmm. it was phenomenal. Absolutely. It's Brett, and it's not even close. And I got yeah. Sting tattooed on my damn arm, dude. So, and this no, is but, unbiased. But, but there, there was debates about yeah, who I did know, it better. No, I'm sure. Yeah, those debates would be the same. Someone right now would tell you the 70 wrestlers in AEW that do the diamond cutter do it better than Randy Orton does the RKO. They could just because they're AWA fans and vice versa. But we all know Diamond Dallas Page will tell you himself the greatest diamond cutter RKO of all times is Randy Orton. It's not close. Okay. That, that, that's what makes it fun to debate with wrestling fans. Who's the greatest pile driver ever? Paul Orndorff. That's easy. It's not even a question. And mm -hmm. Brett's done the pile driver. Perfect's done the pile driver. And Jerry Lawler's done the pile driver. His is the worst. It looks like he's sitting down to take a shit. And no, just, I'm just oh. saying, but you know, no, yeah. it's Paul Orndorff, and it's it's not close. 
He yeah. jumped up in the air, and you thought that dude was dying when they landed. And he never did. He never hurt nobody with it, as far as I know. But it was a thing of beauty. Maybe that will be a spotlight in the future of Flesh Knights. Greatest. Who did the move sets the greatest? But, again, <laughs> we'll move on to the next match of this greatest rivalries edition between Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect. Now we go to 1993 TW. King of the Ring, the inaugural King of the Ring. Technically, King of the Rings happened in the 80s, but this is the first one that was on pay-per-view itself. And there's a it, this is a no-brainer, TW. King of the Ring 93 is the best King of the Ring of all time because of the way they set it up, the participants in there, and, of course, Bret Hart was the overall MVP who went the longest. Has, he, the is, there a better, is there a better list of guys that you beat on the way to winning the King of the Ring than Bret? Yeah, he didn't he beat Owen in the first. Who's he? No, Jarrett or somebody. No, he he beat Razor. They that was first Perfect. round. Yeah. So it was Razor Perfect Bigelow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. There, there, there was a fourth person. I forgot the fourth, but yeah, he, that's what I said. He, I thought there was a fourth guy. Yeah, but he, he there's he, someone he, in between Razor and Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But well, with that being said, TW, we look at that variable in two ways here because now both of them have a reputation. You know what I mean? Bret Hart has a reputation of being, you know, a, a great workhorse champion. And, of course, he was a world heavyweight champion that Mr. Perfect never got that opportunity. Mr. Perfect had the itch, you could say, to come back. He felt like he could, you know, contribute in the ring. I guess, you know, of course, he didn't feel like his contributions on the mic, even though I, I kind of, you know, dug his commentary skills, if you will, TW. Did you feel like something was missed? With him as the perfect commentator, or you really missed him being the the competitor. Competitor, he only beat three guys. He beat Razor, Perfect, and Bigelow. Oh, okay. And he also won the 1991 King of the Ring, but it wasn't the pay per view version. It wasn't televised. But with that being said, Mr. Perfect had the itch to come back into the ring. So this was a great, you know, field for him to do what he did. He won his first round match. So this was the semifinal round or the quarterfinals. I forget what it was. Neither here nor there. I think the quarterfinals here, like the first round was like 15 minutes. I think this one went up to 20 minutes. 30. 30. I oh, this was 30? Yeah. This was 30? So I'm with like that being 16. said, Reflection Nights, the variables are all there. So now, you know, TW, I say, that, you know, there's a test here again. Bret Hart was given the opportunity to be the heavyweight champion. But maybe Vince McMahon said, I don't know if the fans believe that he could be the world heavyweight champion. So this King of the Ring was more accolade. Was more accolade for Bret Hart, but more of a proven ground for the fans to say Bret Hart can be the guy that carried the torch for the World Wrestling Federation in the 90s. What say you about that? Is That's 93 that. when Yokozuna lost it to Hogan? Yeah, at WrestleMania. So then 94 is when Bret and Luger co-won the Royal Rumble. So yeah, yeah. so so he had he had a one year redo to get back up there and Yoko won the, the world title from Hogan at King of the Ring 93. So, you know, his yeah. his era was starting. So, but again, this was the test. This was another benchmark test for Bret Hart to at least prove to Vince that he can sell out the, the arenas, that he can draw the houses, that he can make the buy rates for the pay-per-views. So with this kind of ambiance setting with the King of the Ring and the, the people he beat and what he did, you know, I think he, he passed with flying colors. So let's say about this match in itself. And again, looking at this from this parameter here, Mr. Perfect was out of action for a year and a half, close to two years, you could say. So he hasn't been in the ring, you know, with the taking the, the rigors, if you will, 
of being on the road a lot. So now he's coming in very like he's coming in fresh, but he's coming in. I don't want to say green TW, but again, the timing might not be there. Wasn't he, it Survivor Series 92 that he came back with Macho yeah, Man? He came back, but it wasn't as as full time, if you will. Right. That's what right. it was. He was but, in that match only. But that itch was there to come in in 92, and then he did his thing against Flair in 93. But he wasn't in that full-time. match, yeah. 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 He wasn't right. in that full-time status. So right now in 93 is, is where Perfect felt he was at his peak condition. Do you know that that shit was all because of the Warrior getting fired or quitting or whatever, and then the Ultimate Maniacs became the Perfect Maniacs? Yeah, I, I, we already know that. But do you know that WWE Vince McMahon – Paid back Lloyd's of London because they paid out Kurt Hennig because they thought he was never wrestling again. Mm-hmm. And a year, year and a month later, in order for him to wrestle, because Bret Hart talks about it actually when he came in and did that match with uh, Vince. Mm-hmm. If you ever watched the whole match, he never gets hit. He never takes a bump. They they had to work it to where he never was the guy in peril. Otherwise, okay. they would have had to pay back Lloyd's of London because of his stroke. So. Right. That's how he did it, was he just never took a bump. Um, but Kurt Hennig is a good guy here. That's a different dynamic right there. But what mm-hmm. I love about it is he still wrestles heel. And he holds the ropes. He, he does everything like this is why he's Mr. Perfect. And the crowd actually appreciates it, right? Well, remember, the promo in King of the Ring 93 between the two and Mean Gene Oakland, you know, Bret Hart kind of took a little pot shot at him. Kind of being like jokingly, but then Mr. Right. Perfect was like, "What? Hell no!" You know, <laughs> in that in that kind of instance. And then right. they talk about my father could kick your father's ass and all right. that stuff. Right. So it, it you already had the 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 makings of a good some rivalry heat. match, some some heat. heat, yeah, to bring into that match. And, and you have the, the 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 brass ring of being the king of the ring, so it had it's amped up for that too. But here's something that they say in that match that I waited. You should be proud of me for showing some patience and some reserve. The floor is you. You said how these rivalries, um, usually it's boom, 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 and this one's spaced out. And you said the house shows don't ever make it to TV. In this match, they are talking about the fact that they only wrestled one other time. And we both know they wrestled way more than once, mm-hmm. but they referenced back to 1991 uh, SummerSlam yeah. at this King of the Ring saying these guys are familiar with each other, but they're at different points in their career now, and they were both baby faces. But they referenced that like they'd only fought one time. Well, you know, Vince McMahon has this weird revisionist history, and he makes everybody say this kind of revisionist history. You and I know that that didn't happen. You and I know that they fought hundreds of times in, in 1989 alone on the house show circuit because they have the timing, they have the coordination, all that stuff, and they have the chemistry to do what they did. And again, that's a great advantage for the house shows, for all the AEW marks out there. This is why house shows are still necessary. And this is why house shows are still necessary for WWE if they were, they've been wanting to do cutbacks, budget cuts. You don't get rid of the house shows. It's not meant for it to, you know, to blow the house down, TW. It's meant to have the chemistry between the two. Testing the wise. Where Razor the- and Luger got teased to see who's going to be a good guy. And they both ended up being good guys because the crowd was split 50-50 on them. But I'll tell you this, AEW fans. I don't know if AEW even does house shows. I'm starting one of them. They've done a couple. They did, they, did a, they did a couple. I got an email the other day. Tickets on sale for Chicago AEW. I'm like, what the fuck? Did they even leave? Are they still there? 
They went well, to they, Canada for a couple weeks, and now they're going right back to Chicago. But anyways, house shows, if you ask any guy on TV what his favorite show to wrestle on, they will tell you it's a house show because they have fun. There's If they want to bleed, they bleed. If they want to go over the guardrail, they can go over the guardrail. If they want to dive off a bat. Everything they can't do on TV because the sponsors they can do. If they want to be funny all night and just do ribs, they do it. And people mm-hmm. leave house shows satisfied. They leave going, wow, that was that was a different night. And, and it's cool because I think I told you before, the first house show I ever went to, it was so hard for me because there wasn't commentating. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just used to it, right? You go, like, even if you go to Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or AEW live TV, you don't hear the commentators. So it's there's no commentator normally when you watch live wrestling. So if you go enough, you get used to not hearing them. But the but the the live house show is absolute fun. And they usually come here in Detroit around Christmas time and do that holiday tour thing. I've never gone to one. I've always wanted to because I feel like that one would be even funner. They'd probably be giving shit to kids all night, you know, like making their day and just giving them stuff. But but house shows are are absolutely necessary. Uh, it's it's how they grow people. It's how they grow characters, how they grow interests. Because if you went over each town, that's going to translate to TV when they come back and people remember you from the house show when you came before, when you necessarily weren't on TV as much. And because we're saying this, Reflection Ice, in particular with this match in 1993 TW, you can see the, where they incorporated their house show stuff and 1991 and try to give you a twist to the 1993 King of the Ring where Bret Hart wins. You know, maybe people were expecting that he was going to do another sharpshooter on his back, turn him over and do the same thing. But we didn't get that same ending, TW. So if you want to explain to the... I'll let you do this one. I did the last one. You do this Well, again... I also don't remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's good. But... but <laughs> The beauty of it, right, TW, is remembering certain things. You know, remembering it was a that small spot. package, wasn't it? Or it was a small it? package. Yeah. It, it was a small package reflection. I said, but when he was trying to do the 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 sharpshooter, Mister Perfect blocked it. You know, again, the little nuances, TW. I just wanted to point out. It's not about you know getting the the, right. the correct thing. No, but no. with with this ninety three match reflectionized, TW eloquently said, Mister Perfect was more heelish, even though he was the good guy. He had to be heelish because, again, he's the aggressor, and he has a chip on his shoulder, Reflectionized, because Bret Hart beat him in 91. So, of course, you can understand the heat that he wants to put on Bret Hart. Right, TW? Let's he put a ball his, on this. He wants his win back. Right. And if I'm watching this live in 93, I'm absolutely thinking Mr. Perfect's winning, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. Not, I was actually stunned. Because, you know, history just ends up, it all feels like the same year. I, I thought Brett won the King of the Ring before he was world champion, which is probably the 91 one is why I'm thinking that. Okay. Um, but I was like, what the fuck? He won the King of the Ring after he was world champion? So if you look at it logically, he has to win it. If he doesn't win it after he's been world champion and all three of the guys he wrestled never were. Mm-hmm. Then he would look like he definitely went backwards in in the the hierarchy of the company because you know I didn't even know that at the time like yeah he's got to win it unless you get screwed like if someone screws him then by all means right but but um at the end of this 
Mr. Perfect looks like he's mad again, and it's another tip of the hat to that 91 match. He looks like he's going to ambush Brett after the match like he did in 91. Instead, he gets in his face and says, and then shakes his hand, pats him on the back, and walks out of the ring. So it restores him back to babyface. It shows respect. Gives Brett the rub if he needs mm-hmm. one still. And, and like, go get him, Tiger. Like, that's what the pat on the back is. He, he, didn't, need the, he didn't need the rub. He just needed the validation from, from right. Mr. McMahon. And this gave him, gave him the right. validation. With that being said, let's move on to the, not the main event, but the last match in this Greatest Robberies Edition, TW. And we go to WCW. We go to WCW Uncensored from January of 1998, TW. And again, oh, by the way, real quick. Uh-huh. I forgot to mention this. The opening match for SummerSlam 91 where we had Stu, Helen, Gorilla, Piper. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, and no, no gatekeeper. No, I know the, the six opening man. match was Hercules and Roma with the Warlord versus Bulldog, Steamboat, and Kerry Von Erich. I did not know that match even happened until today. And four go. of those dudes are dead. Just say, add them to the list. Put them on the list. Three of them. La- three ladies, of them. ladies and gentlemen, the gatekeeper, TW. The Grim Reaper. Grim Reaper. Yeah, the, the Grim Reaper, TW. Okay. Now, with that <laughs> being said, let's move on to the final match of this Greatest Rivalries edition. WCW Uncensored January Holy shit. 9th. What? King of the Ring 93. Everyone Brett beat is dead. <laughs> They're all dead. He's killing everyone. Jesus Christ. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> now you're calling Bret Hart the Grim Reaper. Oh, Jesus Christ. King Midas. I don't know. He's, he's ending it. He's, he's doing it. Oh, God. Can, can I go into the last minute? Can I give the introduction yes. to the last yes. minute? Okay. Thank you very much. WCW Uncensored, January 1998. Now, this variable is way, way different on the hierarchy, TW, because, again, Bret Hart is coming in technically with all the momentum from getting screwed in Montreal. But, again, this is hindsight. We already know that Eric Bischoff didn't know what to do with him. They didn't give Bret Hart the chance to win the belt or whatever. All that stuff. They didn't get him to be the main yeah, event. They took him just to take him. And, right. They just, who are you going to knock off off the playbook that's already running hot? Right. You know. Again, we're not going into the logistics of his of his of his bookings, but it was a, but he was supposed to be coming with all this momentum. Now he's supposed to be the guy to you know tip the scales with the WCW versus NWO war. He didn't he didn't even become that either because he joined the NWO. So that's again one of the stupid things that they did with Bret Hart. But neither here nor there. But in 1998. This was technically his first debut match, if you will, TW, because Star Katie was just the enforcer slash referee. So this was his first match on a WCW card in 1998. This was his debut of WCW. And, of course, who better than to debut against than Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning, accompanied by Ravishing Rick Root, both dead. I got you. Yes, they were bo- <laughs> they're both dead. But the ambiance of, of this match is lower because of the variables. Because, again, Mr. Perfect has nothing to, to lose. Again, this is WCW against NWO. So, again, you can have that kind of war, but it just didn't feel right. It just felt so off. Because, again, Bret Hart is coming with all this momentum. And Mr. Perfect, he's just collecting a paycheck because the schedule is easy. He, he's doing half the dates. Of course, his back is still killing him to a degree. So let's say you, because again, the ambiance is not there, but we know the pedigree is there. The chemistry is there. The coordinators, 
The coordination is there. You know, the, the, the two that can close their eyes and, do, you know, know the movesets. What's ATW about this? And, and you had Rick match? Rude in there. And, I, like, I couldn't help but think about how Rick Rude is there because he told them, fuck you, because of what they did to Brett in Montreal. He, mm -hmm. he told them, I'm out. And then he went back to WCW. Uh, yeah. So he's there. He's pretty active in the match. Like, he gets physical in there. And uh, the best thing about this is, is unlike uh, – the uh, 1990 WrestleMania match getting absolutely shit on at Halloween Havoc when they had Hogan versus Warrior 2. You mm -hmm. have Brett versus Kurt 3 for all practical reasons. Uh, and it's not that. That's that's one thing I do like. And obviously, Brett has to go over. He can't lose in his first match there. The, the whole tale of the match is... Brett has been turning down the overtures to join NWO. Kurt Hennig comes out representing the NWO because who wasn't? And then mm -hmm. he gets in there and fights Brett. So this one is for not the legacy. It's for the dominance of the, the promotion. Like we're sending our henchmen to get you since you won't join us. And then right. we're also sending Rick Rude with him. Right. Again, it, it kind of feels lower than what it needs to be because it yeah. could have been for the no U.S. Yeah, no belt. It could have been for the U.S. title. It could have been for the TV title, but it wasn't for that. You Again, know what? If you have him win either one of those belts, even though it's not the world belt, if he wins it in his first match there, it's strapped the rocket. Like, what else can he do, right? Like, didn't Goldberg win the U.S. title before the world title? Mm -hmm. So they basically warrior him. They put the double title on him. So, But that's how you do it. Like you said it, you, you, you got to paint him up a little bit before you put the – the uh, world title on him, you have him. I think TV title was sucked, but if you put the U.S. title on him straight away, and he did end up winning the U.S. title. Um, yeah. But, but it's, that, just, it's just a matter of fact by the time he wins it, because, again, like you said, the rocket ship should have been put on Bret Hart in the first match. But, again, th there's a lot of hindsight because I don't want to go backwards because in Starcade, Kurt Henning loses the U.S. title to DDP. He needs a rocket ship, so he needs that validation. Right. So I don't want to go right. into the variables on that. But it, that's a good what if. What if Mr. Perfect beats Diamond Dallas Page, holds that belt until WCW Uncensored, Bret Hart comes in. Now you got this Maverick coming from the WWF. He, if he beats him for the U.S. title, whoa! What say you about that what if right there? Because it could have oh, the wrestling history could have probably all it, it alters the whole shit show that was Bret Hart there. Ask him. He regrets going there. He said it was the worst time mm -hmm. of his career. It ended his career. Like, that guy, you know, I don't agree with a lot of the fucking stuff CM Punk says. And I, I'm not mad at Goldberg. It wasn't his fault. He was green. He got mm -hmm. too much too soon. Um, but Brett getting that concussion doesn't happen. It doesn't happen if he doesn't go there. You know? And he might still have been wrestling until 2010. Legit. You know, like, Kurt Hennig, I forget what year he died. Like, 03, 04, 05, whatever. Um, 03. But he came back and was wrestling there. So Brett could have easily been still wrestling in 2003, 4, 5. It would have been Brett and Rock, Brett and Oswald. We had those, but, I mean, that stuff. It would have like, been Brett and, and Brett Sean, Cena. Brett, Brett and Sean, Brett and Cena, Brett and yeah. Orton. I get where you're going with that. Yeah, guy. yeah. It would have been good stuff. And and all because Vince mortgaged his damn house to get him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still, it's all WCW's fault. If they're not winning, then Brett doesn't have to get his contract bought out or resolved or whatever. But it just, it, it you know, it, what I hate the most about it is 
Well, you're going with that variable about his health. I'm just going by the variable. No, no, no. But I'm saying if he if he was the U.S. if he was the U.S. champion, there's a you could have changed the trajectory. Right. He he doesn't end up the the booking patterns. He ends up becoming a heel because the crowd just gives up on him because they don't do anything with him. So he's not Mm -hmm. getting the same heat that he was getting babyface heat when he got there. So they had no choice but to turn him heel, right? Mm Because he lost his momentum. But if you put the belt on him, the other thing that I hate about this, I'm never going to be mad about you giving me Bret Hart versus. Mr. Perfect ever, right? Mm-hmm. But first get one out the rip. He wins by submission. He also, you know, survives, you know, for the most part, a two-on-one from Rick Root and Mr. Perfect, and then just is left laying. It makes Kurt Hennig look like enhancement. It makes it look like the Saturday morning debut and Bret Hart taps out Kurt Hennig. And it's like, come on. Man. You couldn't have made that buff Bagwell? You couldn't? Have, why did it have to be perfect? And by the way, just to answer your question, Perfect lost it to um, DDP in December. I don't even know what month this one is in, January or February? January. January. You could have had Perfect win that belt back from DDP with Rick Rude helping, and then next month have Brett versus him because they had a regular match. It wasn't like the stupid uncensored rules were blacktop bully and shit like that. So you, mm-hmm. you could have had him win the belt back almost the same way as he did it against Kerry. And then Brett beats him for that title and survives Rick Root. It makes DDP look weak because he didn't survive the two-on-one. But you can give him another, you know, whatever. Matter of fact, you might not even ever have a DDP run if they did Brett better, you know, because right. they – and then that, everyone that, got fucking hurt. Right, and that's the biggest what-if right there, Reflectionist. Again, we bring all the shows into this. <laughs> we bring a what-if into this because, again, that, that that's a really good, good uh, point there, TW, because, again, this match – Feels very insignificant, but again, the yeah. two did the best. But I have to say this: Mr. Perfect was a little bit slower. Slow. I think. I think. I think his timing was a little bit off by a half didn't a second. Do the same and bumps. Didn't do the same. He couldn't do the same bump. Right. Again, you know, you understand why. You understand yeah. the injuries yeah. are are creeping up on him. He can't take the same kind of punishment like he did maybe in 1993, in 1992, 1991, and all that stuff. We understand the reasonings. But again, this match with a lot of mo- with a lot of let's say legacy in it just didn't feel right in WCW because they didn't know what to do with it. And of course, Bret Hart wins with the sharpshooter. And even the way he put it on him when they did the roll, like I think they did the sunset flip. And then if the timing was there for both guys, it just felt like oh, I just got off. Then I put the thing on, and then you know, yeah. if if they did it in the WWE with the house show circuit. They would have got that crisp. That's the way yeah, I would look. Yeah, at it. So, yeah. Let's put a bow on this, TW. What say you? What, what caught your eye? Because by you know, again, two are dead already, and Bret Hart's still living. But what else caught you? Caught your eye with the WCW uncensored? The commentary or just the match? The itself, commentary. Or? I'm glad you reminded me because I almost forgot it. it. I actually was like, wow, because I believe it was Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and then can't remember who the third person was. It would either um, be Mike Tanay or Dusty Rhodes, but I think it, it would was, be Mike It Tanay. wasn't Dusty, so it was probably Tanay. Mm-hmm. And they referenced, of all things, that Mr. Perfect was the first person that Bret Hart won a singles title from that put him on his solo trajectory, that he was mm-hmm. the first. And and they mentioned Perfect was mad at him. He like, he, how would you like to be the guy who... Who Brett won his first singles titles from? He'd be mad too. And and the same thing that Macho Man asked uh, 
Bobby on King of the Ring, he said, oh, yeah, when he beat him last time, uh, were you managing him then? You're like He was blaming Bobby that perfect loss. He goes, no, I wasn't. And he did it again on, on that one. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought that was a nice – I wish WWE did that more often. Every now and again, you'll hear – very rarely you'll hear them reference someone won a Japanese title from somewhere in their career. I don't know if it's AJ, but you'll hear something like that or a Mexican title, but you don't ever hear someone. They didn't flat out say intercontinental title, but they said Mm -hmm. his first singles championship that set him on the path for his solo career. And I thought that was awesome. Absolutely awesome that they would even say that. And no one said you, you pal, there's no other belts than ours. You know, I, I just thought it was cool. Paying homage is good, but then you yeah. have to, there's rules. You can't say the name of the title, but you right. can at least say it. But we all know. And the people that point, know, know. And the people that don't, like, oh, let me look it up. And they have no right, idea where right. to look because he didn't say the name. Right. That's the way, you know, again, the, the reputation of a wrestling company reflectionized is they're the major leagues, but they have to get there. So you have to work your way to get to the major leagues. So you know that there's a backstory for any wrestler. There's titles for wrestlers to win to get to this point. It's like a resume, TW. So once they get to WCW, once they get to WWE, once they get to AEW, you have a resume with all the title wins that you've had, but you can't say the titles with that being said. Right. But we close on this greatest rivalries edition that was handpicked by TW. So, you know, again, you you turned me around saying it was it, it is greatest. But I still say that I'll put an asterisk on the word greatest rivalries because, again, I have my variables. I'm very subjective. It's untapped potential. Let's bring another show in. It's, they, it could have been unt- so much more. Untapped rivalries. Yes, we've just been <laughs> christened it. Thank you for watching the PWR Untapped Rivalries Edition with Brett the Hitman Hart and Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. So with that being said, TW, let's give out those socials so we can get out of ah. Right? Right? Any, no, hey, he missed it. He, I was waiting for the tag. I was, I was, I was I know, looking on my phone. I know. He'll probably sign it now. I thought you'd start it at 730. All right. So the Pro Wrestling Coalition sponsors us at the PWC Network at podbean.com. I mean, media group at podbean.com as well. And HMG can also be at channelattitude.com. Our Twitter handle is at PWReflection. Uh, Big Ray, can't do it without him. At Big Ray Hernandez, he's also on threads now, but every single social media platform, if, if, if there's a platform, he's on it, uh, and you find him there at Big Ray Hernandez, including threads. Uh, mine, at Tommy Wonder 19 is my Instagram, which is also my threads, and it's also my uh, not-so-nice-guy Twitter. Snapchat's number wonder, facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder. At the Tommy Wonder is my TikTok and my nice guy. Or Twitter, and then Big Vito in the Well can be found at bigvitobrand.wixsite.com, patreon.com backslash the Big Vito Brand, and you can watch the early release of the Reflection video at twitch.tv backslash the Big Vito Brand. And again, Reflectionites, I think we might go episodic TW because I've been looking at this. Are you not giving out your credentials? I'm going to give out my credentials. Oh. <laughs> I, forgot to, I forgot to tell the reflection uh, what we're going to do on the oh. next episode. So I think we're going to go episodic, TW. We are going to delve into garbage. And what I mean is extreme. Not extreme championship wrestling, TW. I'm talking about extreme pro wrestling. The one that was run by porn, act, uh, porn director Rob Black. This garbage wrestling company needs to be talked about. Needs to be like destroyed. And me and TW are going to destroy an XPW episode from the early 2000s. So look out for that. 
the next time, next week or so. Or so. So you can find me on my Twitter at PWSOPROF. That's PWSOPROF. You can find me on the threads at Tribello69 underscore. Follow my brothers in arms. If this gets uploaded by 8-Track Brown, the dirtiest of the city at the number 8, T-R-A-C Brown, on the PWSO YouTube networks. And, of course, follow the host of the Wednesday Locker Room, Billy Ray Valentine, at Obi-Wan You Know Me. So with that being said, again, next week we're going to do the disintegration. We're going to destroy XPW, one of those episodic episodes. I got a lot to say about that organization. <laughs> so it's going to be either. It's going to be a, had a gay, gay porn director, so you're all in. It's going to be a shoot, cowboy. It's going to be a shoot about this bang, episodic bang. episode. So with that being said, I'm the professor. That's Mr. Wonderful. Dum Dum Do It in its own. The Iron Stomach One. The Grim Reaper himself. Tommy Wanna saying good night and we'll see you next week here at the PWR podcast at Hami Media Group at Pawbeam.com. Peace. Oh yeah. That's it. That's all you got. You, you wasn't gonna not, say best there not, is, best there was, the best there no, will I, be. I didn't have you don't have a you don't have a gum. You don't have a gum to slap. Oh. <laughs>